So consider this guy named Joe. Joe is a young man, great potential. He enters the workforce. He's recognized for his abilities. He's promoted on and on to positions of power and authority. Finally becomes vice president. You guys know who I'm talking about? He has lots of power, position, respect, a lot of what we would, you know, people would, Joe, all right? Now picture you got this boy named Joey. So you got Joey over here, very, very difficult family situation, hated by some of his family members. He's a victim of human trafficking. He eventually goes to prison and is forgotten about. You got Joe and you got Joey. These are the same person. Joseph in the Old Testament is Joe. Everything happened here. And Joey, everything that happened here. You with me? Some of you know about Joseph. Some of you don't. You might hear about him the first time. Uh, Joseph was a life that just had all sorts of extremes, highs and lows. Many of us start our small groups each week talking about highs and lows of our week. How many of you do that? All right. So what was the high point of the week and your low point of the week? And, and I suspect that Joseph's highs and lows that we've just been through probably are a little more what most of us go through on a regular basis. Although I know, you know many of us here have big highs and big lows. But Joseph, he had a lot of extremes. The, the main point for this week and next week, as we look at the story of Joseph and as we look elsewhere in Scripture, is that... God has a lot to teach us as we're going through the, through the lows, and they should affect our perspective, and they should affect our response to those things. That's the main point. Genesis 37, as well as 39 through 45, is where the story of Joseph is captured. And, and for those of you who like to listen to someone read, sorry, it's going to be disappointing because we're not going to read all those chapters. Um, but the key verse is coming from there. This is what Joseph says at the end of the story. He says this to his brothers, who were the ones who hated him. He says, God sent me ahead of you to save your lives. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. Tonight, we're going to look at what God says about the lows. Next week, we'll spend more time talking about the highs, you know, those, those great things that happen to us and, and what our perspective should be during those. But this week, we're going to look primarily at the lows. And, and one discussion. By no means do I intend to diminish the struggles that any of us here are going through. Uh, I understand that whether it's physical, emotional, relational, financial, academic, activity-related, there, there are people in this room, students, leaders, others that are here, who are going through some really, really hard times now. Um, they're hard they're frustrating, and at times they're... And, and I'm not diminishing any of that. My, my suggestion, if that describes you tonight, is you do three things. One is take good notes. The second is be open to what God can teach you through his word. And, and then the third thing is pay to my last slide. All right, three things, all right? If you don't have a note card, you don't have a pen... Hop up and get one, but we're going to jump in. Let me give you a rapid-fire summary of Joseph's life, okay? <clears throat> so he's from a large family in Israel, a wealthy family. He's 17 years old, 
dearly loved by his father, but severely hated by his brothers. So they wanted to literally kill him, and they plotted to do that. He had dreams of becoming a great leader, I mean, these kind of dreams, and then he shared them with his brothers, which really didn't do anything to make him you know, favored or you know, loved more by them. Uh, but so he was sold by his brothers to a group of traders who were going from Israel down towards Egypt, and once they get there, he gets sold to a government official as his slave. When trafficking comes into play. And as a slave, you know, it's sort of like the movie Lion. Did any of you see the movie Lion? This, this young boy, awesome movie. If you didn't see it, young and old, we'll all enjoy it. This, this young boy in India ends up hundreds of miles from his home knowing nobody. He's like, yikes, what do I do? Now, he wasn't in prison. Joseph was in prison, but I mean, there's some... Anyway, but he prospers as a slave, and he's promoted to a position of authority among the slaves. Uh, the Bible tells us that he was really handsome, and so his boss's wife gets her eye on him, and so she starts to go after him. She's extremely persistent, but he resists. Finally, he runs as she's coming after him, and so he accu she accuses him of raping her, and so he ends up going to prison, even though he did the right thing. In prison, he interprets dreams for a couple people who had known the king, and, and he's in prison not for just 30 days and out. It's years that he's in prison. Finally, one of these people whose dreams he interprets gets out, and Joseph says, hey, remember me, help me. And so what does the guy do when he gets out? He forgets him. And the Bible tells us it was two years later when he finally goes, oh, yeah, Pharaoh, I know a guy. You know, it's something that, you know, basically any man would say multiple times a day. I know a guy. He says, I know a guy who interprets dreams. Let me come. So they get Joseph out of prison. He comes up to Pharaoh, gets all cleaned up, and he tells Pharaoh what the dream is. Well, your dreams, rather. You have two of them. Huge famine coming, and you got to prepare because now is the time to be saving your grain. Pharaoh looks around. He's like, who can do this? Who can manage this process for us? He says, Joseph, I want you to be the one to manage this so we can save up our grain. And eventually then, Joseph becomes the, let's call him vice president, or the, basically the ruler of Egypt. So this is the story that he goes through. And, and he becomes ruler 13 years after his brothers had sold him. And there was a lot of downtime during that. And when I say downtime, I don't mean like spring break. I mean like lows. So anyway, meanwhile in Israel, as all this is going on, They've got the famine going up there, and so Joseph's fathers are like, we've got to have some food. We need some grain. And so they end up meeting Joseph, although they don't know it's Joseph. And so some shenanigans happen there. They go back. They come down again. More shenanigans happen, and, and they start to get the grain. But finally, we get to the last part of the story. This is the, this is the, like, the climax of the whole thing. Picture Joseph sitting on his throne. All these people are around that are part of the 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 court, if they have a court at that point, and the brothers are all there as well. And, and we get to Genesis 45, and, and let me read to you what Scripture says. And so Joseph's there. His brothers don't yet know who he is, but he had it figured out a long time ago. He says, then Joseph could no longer before all his attendants, and he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph's brothers, or Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph, is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his... Why would they be terrified? Wouldn't they be happy they finally see their, their brother Joseph again? Why were they terrified? What? Yeah, they sold him, and now he's got all the power. And so they're like, pretty nervous, what's going to happen? But he says, don't be afraid. 
He says to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he says, I'm your brother sold into Egypt. And now don't be distressed and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Wow. For two years now, there's been a famine in the land and for five more years, there will be no plowing or reaping, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. That's like, wow, what a story. What, a, what an end to everything that had been happening over the last 13 years. There's a lot that we can learn from the story of Joseph, and we're going to boil it down to a handful of very clear things to take away for when we're going through rough times, whether we're in prison or whatever it might be. Hopefully not. So we're going to group these into two categories. We're going to look at five things that we know for sure, things that we can take to the bank, and then three things that we don't know. And, and frankly, three things that we can't know. So five and three adds up to what? Nine. Good. We have someone from Miller North here, apparently. <laughs> so... <laughs> No, 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 I'm a Millard North family, or we are, so I could say that. I would not say any school other than that. Let's see. Anyway, if I knew where Brad went to high school, I would have mentioned that, but I don't know. So anyway, what do we know? Five things, right? Five things we know for sure. Number one, this is where you pull out your pen, whatever it is, and you start writing down. Number one, God is in control. God is absolutely sovereign. That means he's in charge. What did Joseph say in Genesis 45? He said, God did this. It's like he was saying, what, what other people intended for evil, God was working through that good. What if we truly viewed our circumstances that we don't like as a result of God's hand and sovereignty? For example, whether you made the sports team or not, what placement you got in band, who your lab partner is, or, or who got put in that school project group with you that you really don't like. What if God was the one who was actually orchestrating some of that rather than just it happening randomly? And what if we viewed the people around God's hand rather than as people who just seem to want to make our lives miserable? That's how others, as the instruments of God's hands. What if we viewed, how many of you have ever had a bad sports coach? Hey, careful, my daughter's raising her hand, and I know what she's thinking of. All right, some of you. Um, so how many of you have never had a good sports coach, even though you were, like, on a sports team? Anybody? You always struck out? Well, good. All right, so you know what a good coach is like. bad coach, who may have been horrible, was actually put there by God for a reason to form you in a way that otherwise wouldn't have happened. Or maybe it's a teacher or someone at school who treats you poorly, you poorly. Maybe it's your siblings, as it was for Joseph, or maybe it's even your small group leader. What if instead of being there to make you miserable, they're actually there? God's sovereignty exists to other areas as well. In Acts 17, we're, we're told that God controls countries. He controls boundaries, and, and in the NIV, it talks about how God controls where people live. So even think about the house, the neighborhood you live in. God had his hand in directing that. So that's the first thing we can take to the bank. What is it? God's in control. All right, number two, God has a plan and a purpose. God is doing things for a reason, and he's working towards a goal of some sort. This is number two. Nope, I skipped right over this. There it is. 
Have you guys seen this before? This is how we picture life is going to be, right? But the way I picture it is I'm riding downhill a little bit, and it's really, really easy. But God has a different plan for our lives, things that we would not put on the map. But God, he has a plan. There's things that he's doing, and then he has a purpose in that plan. He has an objective of what he's doing. And this is what we heard out of Joseph's mouth. This is what he told his brothers. He said, God sent me ahead. That's God's plan. What did God do? He sent him ahead. And why did he do it? To save your lives. That was God's purpose. One small phrase. It's very clear. God has a plan and a purpose for what's going on around us. In, in Psalm 105, there's a, you know, that's Psalm from David, different things that happened through the history of the nation of Israel. And, and at one point, he talks about Joseph and says, he sent someone to Egypt ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They bruised his feet. They placed his neck in an iron collar until the time came to fulfill his dreams. And then here's God's purpose. This is what it says. It says, until the time his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph's character. Wow. So God was doing that during this time when he was enslaved and this time that he was in prison, he was working on Joseph's character. The last verse for this item number two, Jeremiah 29, 11, the verse many of you may have heard before, God has a plan for you. For, you know, a disaster, it's a plan for good to give you a future and, and a hope. That's a promise that we have from God. So God has a plan and a purpose. Now number three, you with me? All right, one, two, three, typically that's how it goes. Number three, God is with you. In Genesis 39, we're told clearly that while Joseph is in prison, God was with him. And this doesn't mean that, this isn't like God is omnipresent, that he's everywhere and, and he happened to be there where Joseph was at that point in time because God is everywhere, so yeah, he's always with us. It isn't meaning that. He's meaning he's with us. It's like if I tell one of my daughters, hey, I am with you, it means I'm for you, I'm here with you. And what, what comes from Psalm 23? We get protection and we get comfort as a result of God's presence and God being with us. Also, in the next slide, Isaiah 41, we get strength and good references to write down if, you, um, if you're wondering about it. These are the, it isn't that just God is with us and we're like, oh, okay, yeah, God's with us. What do we get from it? Comfort, strength, help, protection. These are things that are good. These are things that make a difference to us when we are like way down there. I need a volunteer. Who will volunteer? Who will volunteer the, ne the person next to them? All right. Come on out. What's your name? Casey? All right, let's hear it for Casey. What? Macy. Macy. All right. All right. So, Macy, how many things have we already covered? It is three. Good. All right. So, what are they? I didn't write any down. That's okay. Good. God has a plan and a purpose. He's in control, and he's with us. Thank you, Macy. Awesome. All right. Macy, where do you go to school? Where do you go to school? Bennington. Bennington. All right. So we've got three things. Let's remember those as we move to the next two. Let me remind you of a story. All right. Sometimes God being with us isn't enough because 
There's a story in the New Testament. If you remember, um, Jesus is going across with his disciples, and there's a bad, bad storm going on. And what does Jesus do? He falls asleep in the boat. And his disciples cry out to him, and what they ask him is really interesting. They say, teacher, don't you care? And he was right there with them. So Jesus was with them, like God is with us, but yet they doubted what was going on. God does care. This point number four, God loves you. Even in the lows, when your mind is all twisted around, God assures us that he loves us. In Romans 8, long passage, it, it, the question basically is, is, is separate us from God's love? And Paul says, absolutely not. There's nothing that can separate you from God's love. And he, he goes on to say, you know, death, life, blah, 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 not your fears for today and not your worries for tomorrow. Those things cannot separate you from God's love, even in our hardest time. God plays the long game. It's like, and the way God does things, it's not like a 30-minute TV show where every episode has everything resolved and we go on to the next show. It's like things go on for years, right? God is purpose, but it, it's not confined to 30 minutes with several commercial breaks in the middle. It, like, it takes a long, long time to play out, and that is very hard for us, very hard for us. Jeremiah 29, 11, remember we already looked at that? It says, God knows the plans I have for you. Remember that verse? Very few people know right before that, Jeremiah 29, 10 says, oh, by the way, you've been carried off to Babylon this, all the people from Israel, a bunch of them, had been carried off to Babylon, so they're in captivity there. And the prophet Jeremiah says that God tells them, oh, so you're going to be here 70 years more for you. But yet, God's playing the long game there, 70 years more. How many of you are seniors? All right, so you might get a graduation card this spring, and someone writes in there, Jeremiah 29, 11. If, if someone writes that in there, they're not wishing you another 70 years of high school. Um, so don't worry about that. There's encouraging things of God having a plan, but understand his plan is long. Go on to the three things that we don't know. The first one relates to the idea of God playing the long game. Um, God has a schedule for accomplishing his purpose and a plan to make that happen, but one of the things we don't know is what God's schedule is. We don't know God's timing. I'll call it the when. Hebrews, is, it, it contains a list of all these great people in the Bible. You know, it's a hall of fame of faithful people. But the Bible tells us these people were still living by faith when they died. They didn't see all the things that were promised to them. They were going through life knowing that there were great things in the future that God was going to work out. But yet, they died. Extended beyond just what they would see in their lifetime. They were faithful, but they didn't see the end. Second Peter tells us that the whole idea of timing God's mind is a lot different than ours. A year is a thousand days. A thousand days is a year. And, and so it's, it gets weird when we start to think, why does God not operate on the schedule that we would like? This last verse sets the stage for the last two things that we'll talk to. Um, you know, if, if time is different in God's mind, than ours is. There's other things that are different too. The second thing that we can't know. The first is what? What can we not know? 
God's, God's timing, okay, the, the when. We can't know God's plan. Just we might want to question God about what he's doing. Isaiah 45 says, What sorrow awaits those who argue with their creator. That would be God. It says, Does a clay pot argue with its maker? Does the clay dispute the one who shapes it, saying, Stop, you're doing it wrong. We might want to say that to God sometimes, wouldn't we? Stop, you're doing it wrong. Or how God, don't you know this isn't what I wanted? I wanted this instead. Well, we don't know what God's plan is. We don't know the what. Also, we don't know God's purposes. We don't know the why. Romans 9, also getting back to this whole thing of potters and clay and pottery and all that. And and it says, should the fated say to the one who created it, why have you made me like this? Well, remember back to item number two, that we do know God has a plan and a purpose. So he's doing something, and that is why he made you the way you did. But, but we don't necessarily know what that is. We don't know what's happening a year from now, five years from now, that how God is going to use these things in our lives. Isaiah 55 says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. My ways are far beyond anything that you can imagine. Think about that. That's how God is different than us. If, if, we, could, if we could think God and we could completely picture him, he'd be no different than us. So he really wouldn't be God. This verse says God is completely different than us. You know, it's like, you know, when you first got the concept of going from two-dimensional to three-dimensional, you know, maybe this was, I don't know, when somewhere along, line, along life, Anyway, there's three dimensions. And then you think, oh, what about a fourth dimension? Is there a, you know? What is it? Hyperspace, time. Heaven? All right. All right, so what's, what's the ninth dimension? Anybody know? All right, what's the 14th dimension? Here's my point. We can't even begin to get our brain around 14 or 9 or whatever. At least I can. My brain's a little more feeble than some of yours. There are things that we just can't even begin to grasp. What does that mean? That's what God is like. We picture God as sort of a superhuman, but that's not true at all. God has, his ways are not like our ways. His thoughts are nothing like ours, and we can't even imagine. But yet, we want to question him. We say, wait a second, wait a second. Why did you do this instead of this? Because wouldn't this be much better? Isaiah tells us he's got to figure it out in a much different way. Here's what it makes me think of. I saw someone tonight with a shirt on from Bellevue West, right? Bellevue West, Marching Thunder, or Thunderbirds, hello. He's taking West? Yep, no, sorry. Are you playing a marching band? Okay, which instrument? <laughs> got you there. All right, so my daughters have been in marching band. I never was. To me, marching band, yeah, the line straight sound pretty good. Hey, they're a pretty good band. Well, I've learned there's much more than that. Bellevue West, even without this young man's help, has a marching band. And the first time I watched them, afterwards I sat there, seriously, this is true. Most things I say are true. Seriously, afterwards I sat there and I thought, I didn't know a marching band could do something like that. How do they do that? And it was like, It was like this. It was far beyond anything I could ever imagine that a band would be able to do. Saying that they are godlike, but that was a good example. That's like, that that just blew my mind. Now you're all really curious. That's how God is. Or or think of this. Um, Are any of you Amish? 
Okay, several of you. I've got two in the back. With my, oh, the ones by the buggies. That makes sense. So picture, picture a man to the city. He just knows life with no electricity, um, that's all, no power equipment. He comes to a building, and he sees this spot where on the wall where there's two little plates, and every once in a while they do this, and then they do this, and then they do this again. And people walk in there, and, and it closes, and then there's a ding, maybe a couple dings, and it opens up, and the people come out, but they're com- completely different. You know, he, he sees an old man walk in there, ding, opens back up, and a young man walks out. He's like, wow, can I do that too? So think about this. The Amish guy has no concept of an elevator. He just sees this, and, and that's the way he thinks of it. That's the way it is for us and God. We've got this simple way of viewing things, and we cannot imagine what God is trying to do. We just know we're miserable because of something that happened today or something that's been going on for a long time potentially. Let me give you an example of this. How many of you have heard of Christy Taylor, who is a, um, one of our missionaries? She's in Athens, Greece. Is that the, uh, related to Bellevue West Band or Christy Taylor? Anyway, so anyway, she's in Greece. She ministers to Muslim refugees who are leaving Syria and Afghanistan and elsewhere trying to make the trip up to Europe. Okay? Next slide. There it is. All right? So look at this. Is this pretty cool? All of these refugees, they have to go through where? What city? Athens. And so I heard Christy speak a few years ago when she was at Brookside, and she said, isn't it amazing that Jesus funneling them all through Athens before they go on to Europe? Is that amazing that God is doing that? And I thought, wow, I never would have thought of that situation, as bad as it is, orchestrated by God for his purposes. God works in different ways than we do. Picture yourself as part of God's grand plan, but unfortunately, you don't know the timing, if it's days, weeks, or years. You don't know exactly what he's doing or why, but we know that God is in control, that God loves you, and he is using all these things for a purpose, even when it's hard like it was for Joseph.